Hello and welcome to the Tom Hodge podcast where I interview individuals who have made a successful career within the music industry to find out how they got to where they are and any tips or advice that they have for musicians of any level and at any stage of their own careers. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Matt Hector on Instagram at matt.hits.stuff and Twitter as at Matt Hector Drums. Both Matts are spelt with a single T, who is currently the drummer for Iggy Pop, or as some call him, the godfather of punk. Matt has been working with Iggy for over four years now and continues to successfully travel the world playing with him and the band to sell out crowds. Prior to getting involved with Iggy, Matt worked with Thomas Dolby, the popular singer and producer who is credited with two hit singles. As well as numerous US and world tours, Matt also played on his latest studio album, A Map of the Floating City, and continues to work with Thomas. Further still, Matt plays live with the part rock show, part immersive cinema experience, Gutterdammerung, spelt G-U-T-T-E-R-D-A-M-M-E-R-U-N-G, where he and the rest of the band accompany a silent film featuring some of the biggest rock names on the planet, such as Grace Jones, Henry Rollins, Slayers Tom Araya, Justice and Slash. On their website it says, quote, Think of a deafening rock and roll version of secret cinema taking place in hell and you might begin to have an idea of what Gutterdammerung is, end quote. <laughs> so it's pretty heavy and needless to say is extremely popular among rock fans. Matt has most recently been involved with David Bowie's legendary pianist Mike Garson as part of his Aladdin Sane tour playing David Bowie's music up and down the country. In this episode, we cover topics including Matt's view on work ethic and focus, the key attributes for becoming a successful drummer, your attitude on a big gig, health, fitness and life balance, and many more topics. Matt is an incredible guy with years of experience of touring with some of the best acts out there, and our conversation covers a lot of topics in and around that area, as you will hear. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Hector. Can we start right, right at the beginning? Um, sure. I mean, where did you? Where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? And like your kind of musical background. Well, okay, well I'm, I'm basically based in Kent, in in just outside of London, in physically, uh, musically. I said, well, that's such a tough one actually. I think I, I started quite late. I started around kind of seventeen, sixteen, seventeen years old. Oh, right. that is quite yeah, I mean, like most people, well, at least when I first started, most people were just kind of jammed with people, friends and that at school. And um, I was studying A-levels, um, not particularly happy with the kind of path I was following in, in terms of my life anyway. And right. just managed to get myself on a, I was playing drums a little bit at that point, not nothing too too fantastic. But just managed to get myself on a, on a local gig that I used to go and watch reasonably regularly, who had played most of the, the pubs in, in Kent. And I was about 16 then, I think, um, and did that gig and basically worked out quite quickly that hanging out with musicians and meeting those kind of those kind of people just fitted my personality a lot better than than an academic and an ac- academic route. Right. Um, so I, I kind of all of a sudden things started making a bit more sense as a 16, 17 year old. I, I felt a lot happier in my, in my own skin as a musician. Um, I felt a lot happier around musicians than I did in, in, in the kind of school environment. So that was, it was quite, a, quite obvious to me that, that the path for me should really be in music. So I, I ditched my levels, right. um, started with this band who were working every week pretty much in most of the, the kind of um, pubs around Kent. Um, and just start that, that was how I kind of started properly, really, with a, a band that were gigging regularly. Yeah. Um, and that was only it was three piece with other with with a bass playing guitarist who were both really really great players. Mm-hmm. So I was you know, very young at the time, so I was the, the youngster amongst the other two, and and got to learn a lot from them very quickly. You know, if there's if there's one way of learning about music and how to become a better musician is by doing a gig. You know, I always say to I used to teach for a little bit that I tell my pupils that one gig was worth you know ten to twenty drum lessons right. because you really learn your trade when you're in front of an audience playing with a band, making mistakes, um, getting things wrong, that's when you really learn the, the trade. You can practice in a room forever, 
but until you get out there and start doing it for real, if that's what you want to do, of course, you know, some guys are quite happy playing in their bedrooms and just with their friends, which is completely cool. But if you want to make a real kind of serious living out of it, you have to get out there and play in front of people with as many bands as you possibly can. And that's the path I kind of started um, at, at that point in my life. And I worked out quite quickly that being on stage and, uh, and all the good things that came with that, the, you know, the excitement, uh, um, the buzz of playing with the great musicians, a, a night going well, um, playing my instrument, that was definitely the path for me. So that's kind of how I started mm. properly, really. So you were, you were kind, so of they were kind of like immediately drawn to that. Like as soon as you got into it, you were like, this is, this is definitely it. This is the only way for me. Absolutely. I mean, because yeah, I, I was, I was considering a kind of, like I say, a path in, in academia, maybe uh, just just a very different world, really. And and as soon as I started playing music without and hanging out with the musicians, everything made sense. Right. I felt happy. I felt content. And then that also allowed me to start. I, I had a lot of energy as a youngster, and I still, I still have a lot of energy now. Um, but that kind of let me focus my energy on on a goal, which at that point was just to become. A, a really good professional drummer so from that kind of as soon as I decided that's what I wanted to do I essentially gigs aside just locked myself in my drum room um for you know six hours a day pretty much treat, treated it like a like an apprenticeship right. that I gave myself just studied everything I went to a guy called Bob Armstrong who's who's most who's unfortunately has died recently but he's one of the, the, the best teachers in the, in the country and um, a lot, a lot of the, the the biggest guys in in the UK would have gone to him at some point. Um, I studied with him for a bit. I also worked in a drum shop, so I was around drums a lot in in Dartford. Um, that was all around that kind of young formative period. So I got, I got not only was I around drums all the time, I was also gigs would come through that shop. It's a place called Drumland in Dartford. So gigs would come through the shop, which yeah. I'd pick up. I'd pick up depths and stuff like that. Absolutely, you know, if there's if there's one place to get gigs, I mean. Getting work is all about networking in this business. Mm. You know, you don't go to um, you don't go to the job centre and they give you a gig. You know, you go and play with someone, you do a good job, they call you back, and then you play with someone different. You know, who's recommended you, and it, it kind of spreads like that. So your your network spreads with people that know you're reliable, you'll do a good job, you're a good, you're a good musician, you're a good player, you're a good guy, and that's how your kind of professional tentacles start to spread out, and that's how you get better better gigs. You meet met musicians, um, and all those things kind of also came from being in a drum shop around other drummers. Right. I also worked in a, a rehearsal studio in Bermondsey um, a bit later on. I thought, how old have I been there? Early tw- maybe twenty, maybe twenty something. Like that I can't really remember now. Um, but again, in a place where basically musicians were going every day, mm. so um, I'd be around music all the time. I'd go home. I'd practice my drums. I'd go to the studio i'd meet other musicians i remember at one point because i was working in the rehearsal studio I'd, i was with so many bands i would do three rehearsals in a day with each with different bands wow. working for other gigs so that's building up that network of of just a lot of people that know you um that's how you start to build a, a business which is essentially what this is we're all self-employed um, musicians, but we're self-employed, just like just like a carpenter self-employed. Mm. You know, there's lots of building sites around the country, and these self-employed carpenter, if he does a good job, will get employed on the next building site. It's no different, for, although not the way I've treated it anyway. It's no different for me. I endeavour to do a good job all the time, and I do a good job on one gig. People on that gig will recommend me for another gig, and then your network just spreads out. And that's kind of and that's, that's the way that it's gone for you. You've kind of you started. Yeah, absolutely. One, you trace it. Can you do you think you can trace it all the way back to like kind of that first band and that first job that you did? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there's there's a kind of a, a path from um, from where I am now with, with touring with Iggy all the way back to that drum shop. I'm sure, you know, and mm. because all the people I all the people I know in music um, has spread out from that first that first band. Um, and then that, that job in the drum shop and work I did in there, you can follow this kind of path all the way through all of them. It's almost like a kind of spreading family tree, really. Right, yeah. You can, you can see, oh, yeah, I met that person, but I met him through that, and I met that guy through this and that and that and that, and eventually it will, it will boil back down to those kind of first few gigs and, and those those first jobs in, in, the, in the drum shop and in the studio. Yeah, but like um, you said, you, you went out and you did, like, a good job. It sounds like you had incredible work ethic like you're saying like if you're if you're rehearsing 
with three bands a day and you're working in a drum shop and then you're also practicing for X amount of hours in a day. Mm. Sounds like you were from the age of 16 onwards until I don't know when you when you feel like you, when you went off and became too busy to do sure. stuff. It sounds like you were really, really committed to it. Like, do you, did you ha- feel like Absolutely. you had some sort of like tunnel vision, like laser focus? Did you ignore certain other things yeah. that maybe your friends were doing and things like that? No, absolutely. I mean, I'm 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 a kind of obsessive to kind of personality to a certain degree. I'm also very focused. I mean, I think you know my my talent ratio compared to my kind of work ethic and my application ratio, if you know what I mean, the application in as much as applying yourself to, to do something. Mm. You know, I've got enough talent um, added with a lot of work ethic and a lot of I'm just going to keep doing this until I'm successful at it. Those those attitudes. They're, they're probably a bigger percentage of my personality than than the talent I have as a musician. Right, that's really interesting um, you say that. So do you think yeah. do you think that, that when you've put those things two two things against each other, um, or I don't know if you've seen have you seen people in the industry that you're like well who agree with you and they're like you know the the kind of a- attitude is more important than the talent. Like talent only gets you so far, and then Absolutely. if you don't I work, th- you're not going to get any further. Uh, every, every, I mean, I would guarantee that most people, most kind of working musicians that work at, at most levels, from the top down to the mid level, will say the same thing. Mm. That, you know, you can find the most incredible drummer, you know, a world beating drummer who just blows your mind. But if that guy is a nightmare, if that guy is never on time, he's unreliable, he's a pain, he doesn't get on with people, that talent becomes immaterial. Unless, unless you're playing some kind of playing with David Weckl or you're with Weather Report where it is completely just about the uber-talented, you know, which, you know, sometimes that is that is the only important thing. Most work, most stuff as a drummer is going to be about playing the groove, having good timekeeping, making it feel good, getting on with people. It's about the more about the basics than it is about super-duper chops, unless you're doing drum clinics. Most working most working drums, most gigs you'll find in the main is about is about being a good timekeeper, um, about the, the sounds you make, um, about being a good musician. And those things kind of they sit a little bit outside of just complete war talent. Mm. And also that you know, some people can just get behind a drum kit and be incredible. But if you've got enough talent and application, you can quite possibly reach the same level they have with less talent but more application. Yeah. You know, because um and it's you know most most gigs you when you're on tour specifically sometimes you know sometimes it's in tour buses sometimes it's in hotels but if you're on tour on a tour bus for six weeks around the states and you've got someone who's you know an incredibly talented musician but he's a nightmare to be with he won't get called Mm. because what you, you know it's no it's no different to any other social circumstance if you're spending a lot of time with people People want to be happy, have a good time, enjoy the work they're doing, go on stage, have a good night, come off and enjoy the experience. If people are fighting and bickering and being late and being a pain, I mean, that's just for for an artist, it's distracting. For a tour manager who runs the whole thing, it's a nightmare. Whereas if you get someone that that does a great job, still does a good job, who, who still hits the mark that's necessary, but everyone loves, everyone gets on with, he causes nobody any stress. That dude's going to get to work every time. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know? So it seems like you're you're splitting it down into. I mean, I mean, let's let's break it down into those two things you just talked about. So the the first thing, like, sure, you're talking about like the aside from the talent, it's the it's the work ethic. But then you talk like personality. It's like I mean, it, it's it's the same. I talked to loads of people, and they they do say this as well. Someone even said that it was they thought it was. I mean, fifty fifty. Would you agree with that? Like kind of your your playing and then like your personality as well I, like the social yeah, side like you were saying is it, is it is it that important do you think i oh, definitely i mean when, when we say i mean personality paired with 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 work ethic diligence um professionalism i mean it's, it's kind of a, a broad selection of attributes that basically mean you're easy to work with so that's, Being that's easy kind of like your, to work your with. pot of, of traits yeah. that you yeah. need yeah i'd yeah. say so talent talent plus um being a good professional and being easy to work with. I mean, with in that kind of sphere of being easy to work with, it's you know you're thinking like I say, it's getting on with people. It's being professional in as much as you're not late, you don't miss 
lobby calls. You're, you don't lose your passport. You're not a pain in the ass tour manager. There's the equipment side of things. Your gear's good. I mean, if you want to tour with the big artists, that's all taken care of for you anyway. But that's not always the case. You know, the scale from working with, from Madonna, working down at the pub, those things, you know, what you take personally and what you supply personally changes. Mm. Um, but still, if, if you're in a situation where you, know, you supply your own gear, your gear needs to sound good and be professional. You need to look professional. You know, if, you, if, if I'm in a, playing with a metal band, I don't want to look like I'm going to a dinner dance any more than, than the, the reverse way around. You need to be aware of right. how you should be looking. So you don't, the, the, you don't get sold those things specifically. That's, that's down to you as, like you're saying, as, as an artist in your own right, as a person in your own right. Like that's, that's down to you. Nobody tells you that you should look like No, this. I mean, no, sometimes you're lucky and people kind of give you pointers. Um, I mean, this is all coming under the umbrella of, I'd say, probably professionalism. Mm. Um, and, and again, it, it, if, you're, if you're looking for a career in music as, as, a, as a drummer, for instance, you know, you need to be aware of these things. The, 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 the best players I've met and the most successful players I've met in time have always been really cool guys as well. And that says a lot, you know. Mm. Really cool guys that are friendly, who who get on with people. You know, I'm not kind of labouring the point a little bit with this, but but you'll find this will run true through most professionals you speak to that get called time and time and time and get time again. Now, who are you going to call? The guy that does a really great job that everyone gets on with, or the you know the guy that's super talented but makes everybody's life hell. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, it's again, it's yeah, again, it's no difference to almost to, to working in any life situation. Um, but if you're not aware of that, if you just if you just focus on on your chops, you know, and nothing else, there, there's a place for there's a place for all of this stuff, you know. There's a place for nailing your chops when they're necessary, nailing the timekeeping, nailing your professionalism. They're all part of this whole kind of picture that makes you a good professional. But it's understanding if you know which particular things make the difference, then then you then you you go in armed to a situation. And um, I keep saying the same things, really, essentially. But as long as you're good enough, you know, you're, you know, the world's greatest drummers that have been the busiest, they're probably they're not necessarily the most incredible technical drummers, mm. but they they've got a good feel, they've got a good sound, and they're easy to work with. Those things go a massively long long way. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So you went from the professionalism uh, and the, mm-hmm. the personality into the the chops business and everything. Um, sure. So when you when you're talking about that. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it's the same for other instruments as well. But uh, talking about drums specifically, because th- that's what you do when you're talking mm-hmm. about chops um, compared to like just sitting and is it is it how, how do you see it? Do you see it as you have a spectrum of of things you can do? You you're just pulling out the right thing for the right moment, or is it like you're doing what you're told, or what, how quite does it work for you in your mind? Generally, um, I mean, chops is a funny thing. I mean, when I when I first started playing that, I spent a lot of time with technique. Um, I think what you need to be aware of is being stylistically aware. I think mm. is probably how I define it. Understanding the music you're playing, the style you're supposed to be playing in, and then what's playing, what's appropriate, and what serves that music best, and what serves the artist best as well. Most importantly, if you if you're not aware of what the kind of thing you should be playing and how you should be playing then you need to find out so um, before I started playing with Iggy I did a lot of research into the past drummers he'd used and the, the music that he'd played his catalogs quite this massive mm. um, listened to the, the good guys and the bad guys that played with him understood elements of I mean the band the Stooges that he played with the drummer was, was really good but he wasn't a technical drummer so he, he almost I've had to develop my kind of sloppy side a little bit so what I've done with Iggy is I've learned to be less choppy or orientated. It's more about the sound of the drum kit. It's more about the intent, a bit of aggression and, and drive. And it's less, I, I, I play nothing that I would suggest is a chop on the whole gig at all. Right. Um, and in fact, most of the guys that I know that are working regularly, again, chops is, when I, when I think chops, I think kind of more muse and music. And most of the gigs I do don't really fall into that department anymore. Mm. So what's way more important to, to what I do at the moment is is good is good feel, good timekeeping, um, uh, understanding how the song works, how how best to support the artist, understand what understanding what I need to bring to the song that's going to make it work, rather than what how can I do something that sounds cool and, and flashy and gets me noticed? Because 
I'm there to serve the music rather than, than, than an ego that I might or might not have. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to talk about, this whole Chops thing, because, I mean, at the moment, because um, social media's blowing up and everyone's like, everyone with a drum kit can post a video of them thrashing around for 30 seconds. Um, mm. And I, I think it's quite interesting, and it's good to hear you say that, really, because there's a lot of guys who are probably, like you say, they, they think that they need to get Chops together and then they, they, that's all they see on social media. Because I guess, I guess watching somebody just play a groove, unless you're unless you're really into it, not necessarily the most interesting thing in the world. Like it's kind of understandable, but that's you're saying that's the more important side of when you're being a professional with this whole bubble of professionalism, like you're saying, like mm-hmm. feeding the music and everything. Um, so when you were saying about like it's more about the intent and the, the vibe and everything, like especially when you're playing with Iggy, like the the videos of of everything on stage is is everyone on stage is incredibly high energy um sure was that something that you had to you had to like kind of cultivate and realize that you had to bring or was it did you get do you kind of get asked or booked because you had a bit of that already well i mean funny that i i before a lot of music i played before it was more kind of i mean i come initially from a bit more of a kind of funk kind of groove background mm. so um i had to develop that kind of and, I'm, and and if i look from the first gig with the iggy tower play now it's completely different really um i've had to oh, absolutely the first gig you know when I, cause I, I, my technique was always really good when i was younger um and i as a result when i'm playing when i used to play i barely move at all really you know it's it's all the, the elegant i've moved elegantly my wrist when i was nice and relaxed everything looks kind of quite easy mm. and i'm not saying it was but that was if I watch myself, I know ten years ago, everything's very fluid, smooth, relaxed, and that, that's what I was working for. But then, you, if you put that that kind of vibe on top of an Iggy Pop gig, where he's screaming and stage diving, and then I'm sitting there with perfect Moella technique, I mean, that's just it's just that's just completely it's a complete waste of time. <laughs> so I've had to learn, you know, um, how to to. to Best seven, um, you know, really hit the snare drum really hard now, and um, quite often my backbeat starts up on my head somewhere. Right. I've had to learn to kind of almost look worse. I mean, that's a weird thing to say, but what but originally you're I was like, you look te- worse from a, from a technical, like if you're looking at it from a yeah. drummer point of view, but now you're thinking Absolutely. it more as like from an audience perspective. Absolutely, because I'm, you know, I'm part of Iggy Pop's band, I'm not part of a weather report or some a fusion outfit what's important is that it's a visceral experience people watch that gig and they see and feel the energy mm. and if you play with heart and soul and stop worrying about technique and just you know sometimes i'll just batter the crap out of the kit and there's there's little technique involved but i'm just throwing everything i have at it yeah um, and my technique's good enough for it to still kind of work on a technical level but the sound you get is a lot fiercer mm. um i I had to learn to, because pretty much all the gigs we do with Iggy for the last, the last three or four years that I've been playing with him, have all been big and they're all on festival stages. And I don't play a lot of nuances anymore. I've had to lose ghost notes. My snare drum, it pretty much, I just batter throughout the whole gig. The dynamics have kind of gone to a certain degree. Because right. on a big stage, on a big festival stage with an Iggy Pop rock gig, that snare drum is probably, it's probably the most important part in the drum kit. And it has to, be thumped throughout the whole gig and almost it's almost like i'm self-compressing myself yeah. i've had to learn to do that so can't miss a beat you're, you're missing all of the the ghost notes like you say like even even sure. with it being whacked really hard do you in a big live environment like everything that you've been playing with do you feel like there's there's just no point like because when you when you play uh ghost notes and i'm sure sometimes you might feel like that kind of helps helps your your groove in a way because you're filling in a few sure yeah, yeah absolutely so was it kind of do you still do you miss having that, or have you just learned to completely get rid of it now? I've, I've I do miss it because that was a big part of my playing. I used to play a lot of ghost notes. Mm, um, like the same with the fun and, side of things. It's a, it's a big part of it, isn't it? Like it's quite absolutely. Intense. Yeah, no, you completely you completely nailed it on the head. You know, it's, and it's a it's a fullback timekeeper as well. It fills in the subdivisions. It's it kind of it can make things flow more easily, and I mean that's that's what that's where I came from. Mm. So to lose the ghost note was kind of you know, and and to initially that was the guitarist with Iggy, uh, who's also also the MD, is a good friend of mine, um, and he he's been a guiding light with for me musically. He, he's um, I mean he was with Iggy in the 80s. He was 
he worked for Bowie for a long time. He was Bowie's MD on on Live Aid. He's a, you know he's a, a real serious dude, and he's he's helped me a lot to kind of get to that real sweet spot of where the gig needs to be. And yeah. one of the things was you know he noticed me ghost names that just needs to go. You don't need that. Right. So All you that's were, really you were told what's you were in, like it was it was just in rehearsal. Well, yeah, during the first started doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, when I first when he first approached me about the Iggy Pop gig, you know, he knew I was my background was funk and not. So there there were other drummers out there that probably would would have fit the mould at that point better than me. That's interesting. So why but, do you think you got asked specifically for this? <clears throat> well, apart from the fact that that Kevin was a good friend of mine, he also know. I mean, I remember him sending the he emailed the manager and because they they asked him to put the band together, and he emailed the manager and saying you know that this the bass player was perfect was a natural choice for the gig. Mm. The keyboard player had played with Iggy with Kevin in the 80s as well. Right. And he said, you know, I've got Matt, who's a drummer, um, and I, th- I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's something along the lines of, you know, this guy will work harder than, he works harder than anyone I've ever, ever met. He'll he'll work his nuts off. He'll, he'll nail everything. You know, he'll just, he'll be an asset. Something, something along those lines. Yeah. Basically saying, he's a, he's a, he, he, I've never met anyone that will work as hard as him. Right. That is like so, your reputation I, from years of like your work ethic. It does seem to be like it was it paid yeah. off. Yeah, absolutely. People know you know, that's that's what stood me in good stead is that, that kind of slightly obsessive nature that I'll do everything I possibly can to, to be the best I can for whatever I'm doing. Mm. And Kevin knew, you know, we talked about past drummers that have played with Iggy, a guy called Hunt Sales particularly, and how they played and and the things that I'd have to kind of change and adjust to, to make myself fill this particular kind of rock punk drum gap. Right. And so that was, that was a specific discussion about me kind of adapting myself to fit the gig. Okay. So rather than me being a, so, so I mean, that, that was, that's been an interesting journey for me because before, like I said, like we've just discussed, you know, I played with Kevin and with a guy called Thomas Dolby, who was an eighties kind of icon, very kind of specific, kind of some funky elements to his music, some electronica as well. And Iggy's just big drums, hit hard with passion, no no fanciness, just aggression and intent. So yeah. I've had to learn that to a certain degree. Um, I went from small, a 20-inch bass drum to a 24-inch bass drum, right. you, know, cut, you know, clear emperors to um, coated ambassadors on a 14, 16-inch rack time. Everything, everything got big. All my cymbals went massive. I had a 24-inch ride. Everything got really big all of a sudden. And right. So that I mean, you you'd sit behind a drum kit and you you wouldn't hit it and it'd be humming already. You know, it's just like yeah, a, yeah. a monster. So all these things I had to change. So you um, were told specifically to to kind of you needed to, or were you just like, oh, I, this is what's happened before. This obviously works. Like, yeah, do, I, do I, I did my homework. That's a way with like uh, going from like kind of maybe smaller environments to, to a bigger environment with drums specifically. Do you think that? Most people go bigger to get a bigger sound, or is it just for this gig? You think? Well, I, I don't think necessarily the, the um. It depends on the sound that you want. I mean, if you think about the, one of his iconic tunes, "Lust for Life," um, the bass drum on that recording was a twenty twenty six inch bass drum, right? Um, pretty pretty much undampened, um, and that yeah. kind of sound along. Yeah, it's huge, and and if you listen to the visuals, it's, it's almost a note, and and that kind of and also if you. Think, Think about Bonham, Bonham's kind of drum sound, that big kind of coated ambassador, kind of quite high-tuned drums. Mm. That was the arena I was, I was moving into. So I, you know, Ludwig, Ludwig helped me out and they gave, you know, they sorted me out the, this bigger kit with the biggest, with the bigger sizes. And those drums, before you even start really nailing the actual feel and, this, and what you're playing, just hitting those drums, they sound like the record straight away. Right. So... When you, if you start an iconic track like Lust for Life, I mean, it's different now, but when we first started, those drums sounded exactly like that kit. Mm. So you play that, you sit down, you play that groove, the crowd goes mental because if they were at an Iggy Pop gig, they know what that track is as soon as the drums start. Um, that Those drums, they sounded like that straight away. So already it was, I was getting myself into the headspace of it. And if you've got a different instrument, if you've got a different drum kit and it sounds different, it makes you play differently. So big sizes pretty much with no dampening coated ambassadors everywhere massive symbols it makes you you have almost the ghost, ghost notes almost get lost on the kit that size anyway because everything's ringing continuously it's just like a cacophony of noise right, so there's no you almost stop come through yeah you end up kind of just simplifying things a little bit and and just dry and driving that kit down the middle of the band um as this kind of presence the whole i mean the whole thing's massive 
I mean, I played different. I've gone slightly smaller now. I'm 22, 13, and 16. Still kind of bigger for some people. Yeah. But I've got a 70s kit. So I've got a 70s Ludwig, which sounds, you know, I use the, the modern kit on a lot of kits, gigs, and, and the vintage one on Iggy. Right. And that, again, that kit just sounds like a lot of the Stooges records. So before you do anything else, you just play a groove on it, and it sounds like it's from that era. So, yeah. So that's like the preparation again, you were talking about beforehand, like making sure yeah. you get everything right. And that's, that's on you as well, isn't it? Like, you, you made sure like you could have turned up i guess with with something else but then i don't know you probably wouldn't have lasted longer than, than a gig or so if it didn't sound right no if you're i mean and what that demonstrates is just i mean half the time it's you know if you demonstrate that you're prepared to put yourself out above and beyond people know it notice that mm. if they notice that you've taken the time to listen to the back catalogue, listen to the drum sounds, understand who, who's played what with him and worked out what, well, at least start to work out what's necessary. The front house guy notices the right drums, you've got the right drums. Everyone starts to realise and get an appreciation that you're there and you're, you're there to be serious and not to, to do a great job. Mm. And that cuts you a lot of stuff. You know, we all make mistakes and we get things wrong. But if you're doing your best all the time, you know, that, that, that gives you space um, with people and cuts you slack when people know you're just you're working really hard at something that will as opposed to the guy that doesn't give a crap then keeps making mistakes and, and they'll be gone because there's no yeah. you know, why would you keep hold of someone like that have so you seen again that that's an attitude in your career? have you seen other people come in and have, have a bad attitude and then uh, then kind of get given the boot almost yeah yeah absolutely i mean i've seen musicians that have um it's very easy when you're on the road and you're, when you're doing big gigs to get lost in the kind of um, to lose sight of your professionalism because it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, really, when you're on the road, everything gets taken care of for you. Mm. Um, the tour manager tells you what time to get up, what bus you're getting on, the, the airlines all sorted, like the hotels sorted out for you. You basically get told this is what time's your flight, this is what time you get picked up to go to gig, and that as long as you're on time, so which isn't really complicated, you think if you're you're on time for those those key moments the rest you're driven everywhere you're fed you're led to the stage your gear set up for you you go and you play for now you come off you relax you have some fun you go back to the hotel you go to sleep and you're driven to the airport so everything pretty much is taken care for taken care of for you right so all you need all you essentially need to do is be on time um work diligently on the on the gig know the songs perform well on stage and that's kind of it it's not really complicated but a lot of people get it wrong yeah you know that that you that i mean that's really what we're talking about as a musician at that point you've done the work you've done the practice you've done the preparation you just need to be on time and if they say be in the lobby at 10 o'clock be in the lobby at 9 45 every time always be 15 minutes late um, early sorry <laughs> always be 15 minutes early yeah um and that's an you know that's it's not a complicated thing to be professional but some people lose track of track of that um take things for granted that they're, they're replaceable and no one apart from iggy pop in iggy pop's band is irreplaceable mm. you know everyone someone if they started being a nightmare they could go and there'd be somebody else that would love to do that gig and we do we do a great job and not be a pain in the ass yeah yeah absolutely so when you're when you're doing all the all the preparedness stuff like how long did you have from Getting the call to uh, being in rehearsals. How long did you have to get all of the, all of that stuff together? That's um that's a good question. I can't actually remember now. Um, I'd say if, I'd say it's probably about about three months, which is quite a long time. Right. I mean, originally the first the way it worked out originally the first it was going to be originally a couple of gigs supporting the Foo Fighters, mm. and he, he wanted an English band put together to do that. Um, and basically, the band sounded good. Iggy enjoyed it, and then we we got further work afterwards. It's it's rolled on after that, so we've been quite lucky. But so I had a good three months period from getting it. I mean, what I do remember though, funnily enough, talking about getting the gig. I remember I I just come back from a gig, and I was at the airport when Kevin rang me about saying. In fact, he said he told me that they asked me to put a band together for Iggy. They've actually got a drummer already in mind that they they're quite happy to use. There's a little gap in the door if you want to have a kind of go at getting this gig. And what I what I did was, I've literally on the way home in the cab, um, I rang a friend who, who a, a video video videographer. Um, two days later, he came down to my studio. I'd 
shaved a mohawk in my head, my hair at that point, right. for this video. Um, I think I had an old Gretsch drum kit somewhere, big sizes. I dragged that out. I ripped the, the sleeves off my T-shirt. And then I got him to video me for about half an hour, and we cut together a little drum video. So because the drummer that was going to do it had a little drum video as well. So I had about a three-day gap to try and put something together, which I could give Kevin and the management to say, this is, here you go, here's me. I can do this job and give us a chance. And so that was in a very, literally on the way back from the airport, I was organising mm, that. Wow. A, and a day, a day later, I was shooting a video that was done the same day. We edited it the same day and it got sent out the same day. So mm, that sometimes, sometimes these things, opportunities, I mean, that, and I keep talking about this stuff. I mean, but I think one of the things that I, I, I'm better at, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay drummer, but I take opportunities. They don't always come up that often, but when they do, grab them with both hands and wring the shit out of them. You know, yeah, go absolutely. for it, give it everything. You know, a lot of people miss these things, but I think one of the better things I've been good at is if an opportunity comes past me, even if it's just a little one, I'll grab it and just throw everything at it, and and that stood me in good stead as well. Yeah, that's that's pretty like that's that is really going kind of above and beyond, isn't it? I mean, if you'd waited until the ne the next day before you yeah. bring your videographer or whatever. You know that that could have been a, a day too late at, at the end, and you wouldn't have had the gig. So yeah, man, yeah. that's crazy. And you know when when these big things come up, but you know big gigs don't come up that often because usually people are already in, they're either doing it or you know um, putting a whole new band together doesn't come, doesn't come together that often. And working with someone like Iggy Pop, at this, particularly at this point in his career, you know. Um, He's he's little he's in the kind of the twilight of it now. He's he's still going strong, and I think he will still be going on for years and years still. Yeah. But these gigs are, are very special, you know. Yeah, it's kind of the, the so to to get that gig, you know, it's been it's been a it's been a fantastic experience so far. But that's mainly down to just hard work, if I'm honest. Yeah. Hard work and application as as much as talent. So that I mean, I'm thinking about doing some drum clinics next year, and rather than going out and doing lots of chops, I'm what I'm hoping to do is go out and talk about attitude and approach and what's really important to be a, a, a busy professional musician yeah. rather than just going out and saying, look, this is, this is how you can go around the kit at you know, 300 BPM. Let's talk about what's really important and what's going to get you work, what's going to set you apart from from the other guys, how you be, you're professionally better, what's important about drum sounds, what's important about groove, understanding what gigs need to be in front of the beat, what gigs need to be behind the beat, and, and all these kind of things that musicians care about. You know, other drummers might not as much when we're sitting down in the room and talking about drums, but if you talk to guitarists and bass players and MDs and singers, they're the people that will employ you nine times out of ten, not other drummers. Mm. So I'm more interested in them thinking I'm a great drummer than um, a, another drummer, although that's a lovely thing. The guitarist, the singer, you know, the MD, the, the management people, they will employ me on a gig. Um, so they're more, they don't really understand that well, they work, they do understand chops, but it's not important to them. Hmm. They want to know that it sounds great, it feels great, and the artist is happy. And that's got very little to do with technique and chops, and it's got everything to do with feel um, and, and, like I say, being a good guy. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's it. I, I definitely think you should do that. <laughs> definitely do that clinic because that that sounds incredible to do that. Because um, from from my own point of view, just come, having come out of education, um, it's not like all this stuff isn't there. Like obviously you talk about it with all your friends and you kind of experience it, but there isn't actually like you say there isn't anything for for younger musicians to like. There isn't like a class where you go in and they're like, right, we're not playing today. We're just going to talk about sure the stuff that's not the music but is really integral so yeah because it, it's something that you kind of learn through experience is what is the way that i've sure. done it is from from doing it and then realizing like oh yeah no that that was actually like I didn't, i'm not i wasn't amazing on that gig but you know people were happy with it and it turned out to be a good gig yeah. and everything yeah so, yeah absolutely do you feel like um you play any different because i know you do you do a few, couple of different gigs at the moment um, sure. And do you feel like you uh, play differently on some other things? Like if you're doing like the, yeah, the Thomas sure. Dolby gig or... Um, yeah, I mean, Tom, Thomas is... I mean, I mean, I do... So we've got Iggy at running at the moment. I do a, a film project that's a live gig called Gustav Damron, yeah. um, which is 
that involves that's quite a, a diverse selection of music. It's, it's covers, but you're you're playing. We're basically supplying the soundtrack to a black and white film with a live band, um, and the film's got Iggy's in the film, Josh Homme, Slash, um, Grace Jones, um, Tom Mariah, Lemmy, just loads of rock icons. Yeah, it looks incredible um, from, the, from the video. It's 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 really fun. It's a great thing to go and see, and the band play behind on the screen they project the film on the screen so you watch the film but then at certain points the screen becomes see-through and you can see the band and we perform like a normal band then wow. the film carries on it's it's a really a mad thing but it's next year i think it's going to go we'll, we'll, we'll take off next year particularly yeah. um, but that particular gig we kind of you know we do everything from slayer it goes as heavy as slayer um and then we'll come go down to kind of um Oh, it was just stuff we do. We did Zeppelin in that film as well. Uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins. At some point, I'm playing Brushes as well. Right. So it's a that real mix of things. A real mix, and that some quite often that will go from I'll be playing a track like a, a Slayer, and then we go straight to a kind of uh, I'll put a spell on you with Brushes. Mm. So you have to understanding where the I mean playing Slayer is like 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 being a mathematician really. That's how I <laughs> someone explained it to me. Right. It's when I first started getting my head around it, I first listened to it, and um, you know, I just remember my wife was in the room, and I was listening to it. And this was a few years ago now, and uh, I was sitting there, and all she could hear was me going, "What? What? No, you're having a laugh, <laughs> you know?" Because it changed, it would change on a dime for what would be no apparent reason. Right. Um, and I kind of, as I started to understand Slayer more, I started to love it. Um, but that stuff is very rigid. Um, the, any feel you need to almost eliminate the feel. It's more. It's all about mechanically being perfectly crisp, um, aggressive, on 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 the beat, um, never behind it. But then you so you switch from that, and then you'll go to kind of Zeppelin, and all of a sudden you're kind of playing this kind of lazy rock, in a kind of Bonham style, where he's definitely behind the beat, mm. and it's kind of got a swing to it. And understanding those differences, as a young musician, I was just happy to be able to play them. You know, it's like, yeah, got off now, that's great. But now you start to realise as as you get older, what's important is that it feels right. right. And if you're, you know, if you're playing a Zeppelin tune, you want that kind of slow, behind the beat Bonham groove that he did so well, which is essentially a kind of funk feel, really, um, but played in a rock environment. So being able to understand that that's what you need to bring to that song, but then you, you flip to Slayer and everything needs to be crisply on the beat. Mm. And then you go to Screaming Jay Hawkins, I put a spell on you with brushes and it's, you swing in um, and appreciating what you're playing musically. And that's what it is it's about being musical at that point. Yeah. Appreciating that those elements of what you're doing will make it sound better. That's mm. what will make the other musicians look around and go, yeah, that sounds wicked. So did you, was this, another, you know, it sounds, this sounds like another thing. Did you have to do a lot of work beforehand like you say working it all out and then putting it all together in those, those orders and things like that absolutely i mean when they, they originally came to us with, with just the film um and a rough kind of where they pasted the soundtrack over the top of it so we had to work out quite often we'll play like a verse and a chorus and we'll, we'll stop quickly and, and it'll it will be stopping on a cue of like a gunshot or something mm. so the, the, the music's integral to the film as you'd expect if you were to watch a normal film right but so it's been played with a light band like an md to help with that kind of thing or are you you watching yeah, the well, film yourself well the way we worked with it is um myself kevin again the md for miggy also is the md for this um but right. because i'm 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 the kind of the technical guy. I, you know, I use Logic a lot. I use Logic and Pro Tools a lot. I programmed um, the file that had the film in, and also all our click tracks, right, because obviously okay. the clicks are different. At certain points, you have to be rigidly stopping on an exact point where a, either a, a vocal thing happens, as in someone speaks, or like I say, a gunshot. The, the very, very first scene of the film, we play up to um, this big moment where, where this guy fires a gun, and we have to stop on a dime literally just before this gun goes off. So the band's kind of firing away, stops. Mm. So it has to be so, so tight. So we want to, we want to click track. So it's very rigid. And there are certain parts of the film where the band can just play and they kind of pause the film and they start it when we're ready. But the majority of the films to click track and it's very specific and arranged. Right. So I did all that side of it. Myself and Kevin worked together arranging, um, uh, you know, the, the lengths of stuff, timing things, then I'd be programming the clicks and programming how it all fitted with the film. So, I mean, that's another element of what I do. I'm good with technology. I use lots of technology with the Gutterdammer and I use some 
a lot of Roland stuff with Iggy. With Thomas Dolby, I used loads of electronics. Right. So that side of, you know, I developed that side of, of what I do as well. I understand all the electronic side of things. So that's mm. another asset. Again, not necessarily about talent. It's just I thought, well, I'm going to learn this stuff. So if it's ever needed on the gig, I'm all over it. Yeah. So from a drumming point of view, do you think like all of the the hybrid stuff, do you feel like that's more integral these days um, for live environments? Because, I mean, on the Icky gig, you've got, it's, it's, it's not the biggest kit in the world. You've got like two times oh, sure. and a couple of, like three, four cymbals maybe. Um, sure. It, do you feel like that's, that's essential? Is that more of a getting the sound of the record like you were talking about before with the drums or is it more of a kind of bringing something else to, to the live environment? Well, they kind of, I mean, the, in terms of the drums, like I said before, the drums are 70s, are 70s kits, so they sound right. The cymbals are kind of, I've used quite a few artists, Sabian Art Sands, which sound a little bit vintagey anyway, which I really like. Um, and the electronics I use generally are triggering very organic sounding loops. So it's mainly things like claps or tambourines or a, a piano. So the, the hybrid thing, which, you know, I'm into big, big time with Roland. Um, when I use it with Iggy, it's very discreet. It's very organic sounding. You wouldn't necessarily know that stuff was being fired off from the front front stage because right. everything just sounds like a live band. The claps sound like there's people playing it live. It's not electronic sounding. Mm. Everything, it's just one extra layer rather than a whole backing track. It's just some claps here, some tambourines there that make a massive difference to what we do. Yeah. Um, but that, with without those things there'd be definitely be something missing. We play a song called No Fun where there's, there's, there's a repetitive kind of hand clap groove throughout the whole song. Um, that's hugely important. The tambourine on Last, Last for Life on the backbeat makes a huge difference when that comes in. I mean, like, like on many records in the studio, a tambourine on the backbeat at a certain point can lift the whole song. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing yeah. what a tambourine can do. It's kind of... <laughs> Underappreciated so, instrument, I think. Very much absolutely, so. yeah. I mean, <laughs> forget more cowbell, it should be more tambourine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's it. So these little things, that's what I use most of my Roland stuff for. Right, so it is more um, to get Iggy, at least. the sound of the record. That's that's the main point behind it, is to because that's what people come to hear, so you're just trying to emulate Absolutely. That. Yeah, and, and, and emulate it in a way that's kind of seems very natural. It's not that if you you know if you were standing in front of my drum kit you probably wouldn't see any electronics. So I've got my I've got these BT um, triggers on my snare drum that sit on the outside of the rims. Mm. So I start pretty much everything from there. So it's not like I'm kind of turning around and hitting an SPD um, SPDSX which is hidden in my rack. Right. I'm hitting stuff that's on my snare drum that's very subtle, um, and you, you most people wouldn't. You know, it's not like you're watching a pop band and they've got like 50 backing vocals a string section a horn section and there's five people on stage you know it's the yeah. four of us with, with Iggy and some extra little touches mm. um, but it does bring a lot to it and the Roland stuff does it really really well I'm really happy with how we, we kind of get that stuff firing off and in fact we did a video recently with Roland which they're going to be um, firing out soon when they start talking about the hybrid stuff a bit more where we talk about the Iggy stuff and how I use it so that should be out, that should be shout out right, soon right. as well I'll definitely look out for that for sure Good. yeah um, so if we go a bit a bit left field, a bit kind of out of the blue almost. I, I really wanted to talk sure. to you about, because um, I, I mean, I found you through social media and uh, sure. I know that on your Instagram account, there's a few videos of you kind of working out or like at the gym kind of thing. Like how sure. you, you obviously take that part of your life fairly seriously, like, you know, so how do you, how do you kind of balance all of the, the busy touring life and rehearsals and being committed and going over the top, like you say, with all the other things, like you know, you, you've got a, you've got a wife and a family, and, and like going to the gym and everything. How do you how do you put all that together and still manage to keep keep the the career side on it as well? Well, the, the, I mean, for me, I mean, I you know, I, I, I like staying fit and or trying to stay fit and trying to stay healthy. And with Iggy as well, I can't, it's a physical gig, so I want to feel strong on stage and. You know, when you do a two-hour set with, with Iggy, you know about it because um, uh, he's very energetic mm. and demanding. Oh, he, yeah. if, he turn, if he turns around at you, you don't want to be looking like you're kind of sleeping. <laughs> you want to give him back what he gives, which is 150% of energy. So the gym side of things, I mean, I, I put it on my Instagram just because that's, that's, that feeds into what I do as a drummer at the moment. Right. And that's one of the interests that, you know, I like to try and stay reasonably fit. And it's, that's not always easy when you're on the road. Um, for a whole number of reasons, you can't control what you eat necessarily, or it's tougher 
you're eating at late times, you're travelling at weird times, you're stuck in airports a lot. Um, but generally, most places, you know, I run quite a lot. There's quite a lot. You can always generally find somewhere to go run in, in the cities around the world, and that's quite a nice way to see the cities as well. Mm. Um, and and the kind of the gym thing, it just it, it just feeds into what I do, and I quite I, I enjoy that. I've enjoyed getting fit over the last kind of three or four years and stronger. So and you feel like it comes naturally to what you're doing at the moment in your career? Yeah, it kind of fits. I mean, it does. Most times you get enough time to go and, go and do something for an hour. So I'll, I'll, I'll train a reasonable amount most weeks anyway. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Mm. But um, generally I'll, I'll, I'll get in the gym three or four times a week and then run a couple of times as well. And, you know, as you get a bit older, as you know, you, you'll discover eventually, you know, those, those, those things are harder to hold on to. So, um, and, and that also, the, I mean, the other side of this has been for talking about professionalism and, the, and image as well. That does feed into what I'm trying to project as a professional, you know, that sound good, I play well, I'm professional. And when you go on stage, and let's not make bones about it, you, you want to look good as well. Mm. You know, some gigs that really matters, some gigs it doesn't matter at all. But when if I walk onto stage with Iggy Pop, I want to feel like that I, I should be there, not just musically, but I look at least I'm trying to look the part as well. And having that confidence to go on a big stage and, you know, have a bit of an ego about you in as much as you're there to perform and you know, look at me, that, that kind of stuff helps my confidence. And um, I mean, if you think of some of the coolest bands, you think of the kind of Queens of the Stone Age, you know, those guys all look, they walk on stage and they look cool. And that, definitely on certain gigs is important mm. you know you, you'll find it more particularly on pop gigs where they really worry about it but if you're doing a rock and roll gig i want to look like i'm up there to, and i'm in business so again that kind of me keeping fit feeds into what i try and project when i'm when i'm playing live as well yeah absolutely i mean it sounds like you the the work ethic thing is something that keeps keeps going back to my in my mind because if you're saying like you know you've only got an hour off I'm sure most people, if they're, you know, touring and playing two-hour sets with Iggy, they probably want to have a nap or something. I mean, do you ever get into a stage where mentally you kind of like, oh, I really, I just need a break, but you kind of are able, is there something you can do mentally to kind of kick yourself up the arse and get get back on with it and do do what you've got to do to be professional, like you say? You know, I've got, I'm, <clears throat> I'm quite lucky I'm lucky and unlucky in as much as I'm always, I've always been a driven kind of individual. I always want to be working towards something or striving towards something. I enjoy that, that part of life. I like trying to get somewhere. I like the thrill of working hard and achieving something and then moving on to the next thing. So I never feel motivation has never, I've never struggled with motivation. Right. And the kind, the gym thing's part of that. You know, I kind of got semi obsessed with going to the gym, just like I did about music originally. But those things, they're still there. And as long as you still keep the focus on the fact that, I mean, I'm going up on stage and playing with Iggy Pops, one of the best gigs in the world, you know, um, and I need to be good at it. I need to be fit and strong and healthy, play well, look after myself and do a good job. You know, if if you can't get motivated in that situation, then there's then there's kind of something wrong. And it's not like you're working down a pit for 10 hours, you know. You're, you're playing on stage for an hour, two hours, a lot of the time you could be tired because you're travelling a lot, but that's you now that's not making any bones about it. I'm not, I'm not killing myself all day long. Mm. So you just you find you find that you know, especially as young guys, you know, you'll be fine. You know, you just need to just get your head in the right place and be prepared to work. You know, but be prepared to be the person that works that bit harder than, than the next guy and does a better job than the next guy, and you will work. You know, be a good guy, do a good job, do your homework. Don't be a dick. You'll get work. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like um, going back to that? Because, like you're saying, like you obviously working in a pit doesn't necessarily appeal to you at all. Well, I, would, I don't know. I don't know how much you're, if you've done any of that at all. But you've done a lot of work in the in the live kind of touring environment, like you're saying about. Is there? Do you feel like there's an accepted kind of path into getting those sorts of uh, sorts of gigs at all? Um, I suppose the only the only path, and it's that's the only path that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm, I know a lot of people go to the colleges these days, which is fantastic, you know, um, and you get a great education there, and you can learn a lot of stuff and network as well. But I still feel the only the best way to get work is essentially through networking. It's by meeting other people, 
getting out there, playing with as many people as you possibly can, meeting as many people as you can, doing a good, a, a, a great job with as many people as you can. That's how that's the work. That's how I've got work. Mm. I mean, I'm not aware of it of there being another way, particularly other than uh, even if you kind of meet people at college and, and talent spots coming to college. Once you're in, I don't know, you get plucked out of college for a pop gig, you'll still meet people on that gig that do other gigs. It's still essentially, as far as I can see, it's all about meeting people and doing a good job and then them recommending you. Right. Um, there's not like a, I mean, I think this, people like brass players potentially where the, the college thing is, is a much bigger deal. Um, a lot of people are drawn from college and can go and get a lot of work with that way. But a contemporary rock, rock music, pop, pop music musician, I think you're essentially going to find that work through meeting people. Um, so that's why you can't be afraid of going out and going to the jam nights, you know, and meeting as many musicians as you can. You know, I, I think I, I, even 10, 15 years ago, I'd still look at ads and, you know, find new bands that are out there looking for a drummer and I'll just go and meet people and play and not necessarily always do them. But you, you, you just need to widen your field, make as many opportunities for someone to come back to you with a, with a big gig as possible. The more people you know, the more chances are one of them is going to come with a big gig to you. Right. So is, is there any, was there any kind of one standout moment in your career that you kind of felt like you hit the next level? Or was it like you say, like it seems to be like saying, it's just a kind of organic process of just growing from, well, from down the bottom to up I, the top? I think the, 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 there's probably one moment where I was, I used to run a couple of different bands when I was younger that did lots of function work. And we play. We were doing a wedding gig, believe it or not, when I was a lot younger, um, in Tuscany. For do you know? Have you heard the TED talks? You yeah. know, these kind of big. Basically, it was the guy that ran TED. Oh wow! That's quite a big, quite a big wedding, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was quite. I mean, it's kind of say wedding with kind of you know, it, it was, but it was quite a special one. Mm. But Thomas Dolby um, it was the musical director of TED from the beginning. Now Thomas was at that at that wedding. And wanted to get up with the band and got up and played, and we got on. And he just he rang me, I don't know, about a week later and asked me to play on the album, his latest album. And eventually, I ended up doing that at Real World Studios, which is Peter Gabriel's studio in Box. And that was probably the start of me progressing up. Um, so I played with Thomas for for quite a few years. I played on his his album, did some few tours. Now Kevin Armstrong, who is Iggy's MD, was on that gig. And we toured the States together. Kevin became a really close friend of mine. And then I've got work that sprung off Kevin as well. So probably the, the, the Thomas Dolby gave him my first kind of step up. Mm. I mean, he's not, he's not necessarily a household name now like he used to be, but he's a big deal in the States. Um, and working with him kind of started to get me noticed. And I started to work with other more well-known musicians. And that kind of, that took me up a notch. And then, kind of availed me to other great musicians which then started kind of pretty much all the other stuff that's come since yeah so but but again that you know i was on that gig because i set i set up function bands to go and do some weddings yeah so that again that kind of comes back to the whole work ethic thing you know that i i thought i need some other while i'm kind of doing all the pop stuff and trying to become a better musician i need to be working every week and the best way to work every week as a working musician when you first start is in functions so I decided, well, I want to control it myself. So I set up a business and we were a very busy function band while I was doing all the other stuff. So come rain or shine, I'd have two or three gigs a week, regardless of anything else, mm. which would bring me in money. And in between that, I weaved all my, my, my kind of um, original music with original bands. So while I was doing that, other stuff was going on at the same time, but I was working all the time. So that kind of... that. that endeavour, that hard work, led me to meet this other musician by chance. Yeah, it sounds like just kind of putting in putting in the work and then cultivating yeah. your social relationships as well once you get to that yeah. stage. I mean, that's that's the path I had to tread. If you, I mean, if you, maybe, you know, if I was like a stunning musician, I mean, if you can be a stunning musician and have all the work ethic and the professionalism as well, then you're nailed, mm. you know? And there are, there are guys like that as well. If, you, if you're fantastically talented, but you're also a really cool guy that everyone likes and easy to work with, then you're, then, then you're laughing. But if you're not that talented guy, there are plenty of talented guys without the work ethic. There's enough of those guys 
to make it easier for the guys with enough talent but a really good work ethic. Yeah, yeah. So if if you're somebody who is slightly younger trying to trying to get their first break, almost like if they if there was one thing that you could tell them to change, like what would you what would you advise them to do right now? Like in in 2017. Well, I mean, just go out and play with as many people as you can. That's the that's the best bit of advice I could ever give because you know as every time you play with someone new and someone better or someone older or someone who looks at it a different way you'll learn from them so that's a free lesson from a whole lot of people and one of those people will come back to you with another gig and one of those people will come back to you with a bigger gig and it will all swell from that initial you getting yourself out there don't sit in your bedroom don't sit the rehearsal room's great but go and play with absolutely as many people as you can and just work your nuts off and you'll be, and you'll be successful Thank you for listening to the Tom Hutch Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Matt. It was a very eye-opening experience for myself, personally. Uh, if you want to follow Matt, you can follow him on Instagram at matt.hits.stuff or on Twitter at matthectordrums, both spelt with a single T in Matt. Uh, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcription of this episode, you can head over to tomhutchmedia.com forward slash podcast and find it there. If you like this episode please give it a rating or a review i'd very much appreciate it and you can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of the other episodes that are coming out if you have any ideas of guests that you would like to hear from or questions you would like me to ask or you want to tell me what was wrong about the show then please i would love to hear from you and you can get in touch with me by email at tlcutchmusic at gmail.com or on social media at tlcutchmusic thank you for now and i'll see you next time